buckle your seatbelts. On today's show, we have top global influencer, serial entrepreneur, Matt Berry. While we're specifically discussing his acquisition of escrow.com, his strategy in acquisitions in general, we learn so much about what he sees in the domain industry behind the scenes at escrow and also just jam-packed with commentary about what are the best approaches for entrepreneurs, tips of the trade. You don't want to miss one minute. Enjoy. First, serious about online trading? Secure your funds, keep your merchandise safe, and use a company that keeps the buyer and seller protected the whole way through. That's escrow.com. Payments you can trust. FD was built by domain investors to increase your inquiries, sales, and profit. Forget spreadsheets and archived emails. Manage your entire investment portfolio in one place using a secure and completely confidential platform. Learn more at FT.com. That's E-F-T-Y, FT.com. Hey, Sherpa Network. I'm Tess Diaz, executive producer of DomainSherpa.com. And today we have Matt Berry of Freelancer.com and Drew Rosner of MediaOptions.com. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. Great. Delighted to see you again, Matt. Uh, Matt, you uh, came into the freelancer space by such an unexpected route. I'm very interested to hear a bit about it. Um, so you're already an experienced entrepreneur. You uh, registered, I love, uh, biditout.com back in 2008, and then eventually acquired getafreelancer.com. Is that right? That's right. I had a $7 budget for my first brand. I, 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 I couldn't get a media options. <laughs> I didn't answer your email. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, I basically, I, um, you know, stumbled across, get a freelancer. While I was trying to get, trying to build a website, to help my mom out. And, um, I, uh, needed to get some data entry done and, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't get a little little brother or sister or a friend of mine to do the job here in Australia because they were lazy, basically. Yeah. And so I typed into Google data entry online or something rather, and I found get a freelancer and I posted a job and um, the rest was history. Uh, you know, I, I, I blew my mind. So. Yeah. So, um, so you started out with bid it out, then you acquired the company getafreelancer.com. Um, and how did you transition to freelancer.com? Not, uh, you know, certainly want to hear a little bit about acquiring the domain, but, but also, uh, you know, you went somewhere from a $7, a brand name in the beginning over to absolute global dominance with freelancer.com. Yeah. So what happened was, um, I had left my last business, which was a semiconductor company and it hadn't really set the world on fire at the time, but ultimately it sold to Intel. That's a happy ending eventually. Um, mm -hmm. And I was looking for something to do. And I said to my mom in 1995, you should build a website to sell her. Um, she says wholesale arts, crafts, paints, glues, things like that. And if she had a website in 1995. She would have been a pioneer in e-commerce, right? Like pioneer, right? Because I was, I was doing my, uh, I was 95. I was doing my, um, I finished my honors degree in computer science. I was back doing electrical engineering. So I was like, you should build a website, right? And so 2007 comes along and she still doesn't have a website. She's still photocopying bits and pieces on a photocopier. I mean, it's just, I don't know how the business ran. It was just bizarre. <laughs> 10, 
10,000 products. So I said, okay, I'll build you a website. Wait, and wait, I, so your mom is an entrepreneur? Yeah, she's got her own business. Huh, you think that's She, that was, she was Etsy before Etsy. Yeah. Yeah, only Etsy did a better job. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> you write that in your Mother's Day cards? <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, yeah, she 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 trailblazed a path for Etsy, right? Um, That's right. That's it's right. Slightly, slightly different business, anyway. But um, she sells more of the stuff that people use at Etsy to to build the products. But um, but uh, you know, I, I was trying to get this data entry done, and I um. I was just frustrated. I just couldn't find someone to do it. I would have loved to have done this at home. I said, you know, fill in a spreadsheet, name of the shop, phone number, address, you know, on a thousand rows, I'll pay $2 per row, be $2,000 of work, do it from home on the computer in your own time. You know, I would have loved to have done that. I had a paper route. I had all sorts of things I did as a kid. You know, multiple yeah, paper. I was doing hard labor, never mind data entry. Exactly. And you know, I, just, I just couldn't have to do it, right? So then I typed into Google cheap data entry or data entry online or something rather and I found get a freelancer and it looked terrible at the time. I mean, it looked like Craigslist, right? It was this gray, horrible looking website. And um, I posted a job and um, went to lunch and I forgot I posted the job and I came back to my um, email and there was 74 emails saying I'll do the job for you. And I was like, this cannot be real. I just thought this is, this is impossible. It can't be real. There's no way that there are 74 people wanting to do the job. I can't get one. I went through and I thought, oh, wow, there's actually people here and they're actually are bidding on my job. And I said, well, how tick? Why are the people bidding less than $2,000? I said, the budget's $2,000. People are bidding $1,500, 400 300 200 100 I thought, why would someone bid $100? I said, the budget's $2,000. This is ridiculous. And then I just discovered more people from emerging markets around the world and you know, I look at wages globally at the time and I should have, you know, I grew up in Jakarta, so I should have known this, right? But for some reason I just didn't think about it, right? And, um, and I, then, I, then I got the job done in three days and the job was perfect and I didn't have to pay until the job was done. And then I just thought, oh my God, this changes everything, right? I just thought, this is just phenomenal. I can hire an army of people to do anything I want, I should build a business with this. What, what sort of business should I build? I can build anything. I can, you know, and, I, and I, was, I was there at home by myself and I was like, wow, I can build a whole company without having to hire people, right? And um, what sort of company should I build? And I thought, well, actually, I like this website, get a freelancer. Maybe I should try and copy it, right? And I saw those few other projects and get a freelancer, copy and get a freelancer. So I thought, why don't I do that? So I started bidout.com and I downloaded um, Social Engine, which is like this white label Facebook, and I hacked together a classifieds module and I was hiring freelancers off get a freelancer to copy get a freelancer. <laughs> and, um, and then, um, and ultimately get a freelancer was copied off Scriplance. And, so, and I bought Scriplance as well. Um, uh, but I, I uh, you know, got it going and then I did a bit of a survey of the space and there was a couple hundred um, companies in the space. There's about a dozen that had some sort of traction, not a lot of traction back then. And I thought no one's gonna fund me to be number 13. So um, maybe I need to buy rather than build. Um, and so I went to half a dozen of the companies and said, do you want to sell to me? And um, a few of them said, yeah. And uh, the best is actually with get a freelancer because they had the best traffic because they had the best SEO. Um, and um, long story cut short, I bought it. And, um, you know, the rest of history was doing a million dollars a year in revenue. And it had as a 5,000 biggest website in the world and had half a million users on it. And um, I, I raised the money to buy the business and not a cent more. 
didn't raise any operating capital. I just bootstrapped it from there and um, took it public four years later at 1.1 US billion dollar market capitalization. So that was um, that was fun. Amazing. That was fun. That was a, a 16,000% 16, return for the some some guys who gave me a you know, yeah. five, five grand here or there. Uh, I think five grand turned into $890,000. Wow. Yeah. Not as good as Uber, so, five grand turned into 25 million with Uber. So yeah. <laughs> I saw that recently. It came out. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, was biditout.com your first domain name ever? No. Okay. No, I had, I had a lot of domain names from a long, 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 long time ago. It was registered in 1996. In fact, I just got a class C uh, IP address range transferred to me from APNIC because I registered domains so early that I had a, they used to give away 256 IP addresses at the same time. And I'd just been sitting on the records for ages and I, I finally got around to saying, hey, can I get the IP address range? And they're like, okay, we've got a single bunch of documents. I had to go get like all these signatures from people from 1996 that I hadn't seen before in uh, a long time. <laughs> and, um, and I got it. So uh, I, got, wow. I got class C. So I, I, I couldn't afford, actually back then, I. Um, I had all these domain names registered that I couldn't afford because it was, um, I was, a, I was a poor student. It was 35 us dollars a year and you had to do minimum two years registration back then. And we had all, I mean, I had all sorts of names registered. It was early, early, early days. Right. And did you so, lose all of them? Do you still uh, have no, 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 I've got, I've got some of them still. Um, I've got, I've got uh, a bunch of <laughs> strange ones. Um, but, um, you know, back then I didn't really think about, well, if this gets big, should I own the canonical name for the industry? <laughs> Instead, I was like, oh, this is kind of a fun name. I'll register that, right? Uh, so, yeah, um, a lot of regret, actually, because uh, I could have made a lot of money from that. Can't, can't, I don't know, Matt, but you're hurt. Yeah, you can't regret. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you've, you've invested well over the years. Um, so, what, you bought how many different freelancer companies? I think it's about 15. 15 companies and you bought the domain name freelancer.com. Was that a company as well when you bought it? No, that was just a domain name. It was actually a guy who um, had a magazine called Computer Freelancer and the magazine had gone uh, out of business and he was a British guy living in Canada and um, he still had the domain name. So I bought it off him. Okay. And in actual fact, I actually, you, you were probably able to tell me, uh, what was the most money someone paid for a domain name in 2009? Oh, well, so publicly... I should know this. I should I just look it up in yeah. my, in my <laughs> database. Well, what am I doing? <laughs> Are you looking it up in the escrow.com database? Oh, I could. I could look it up, yeah. yeah. I think it was... I think publicly it would have been the sale of sex.com the first time, which I think was $9 million. Was that... Did that, uh, did that sell, sale, 2000, 2009, was it? Yeah. And then it sold again just shortly after that for 13 million, 13 something. Um, yeah. if, if I'm I pretty sure I paid in the top 10 for that year. Yeah. No, pretty yeah. sure. For, for the year, I, I, yeah. I paid, I paid $325,000 for it. Yeah, okay. which there weren't tons of domains changing hands at that, those prices at that time. No, no, just no. addressing, you, you know, Flipping to to escrow.com, uh, putting your escrow.com on hat on for a second. Is it fair to say that a domain sells for a million dollars or more, uh, you know, every business day on average? 
Uh, I don't know for sure uh, if that's correct, but I'd say it'd be pretty close. Yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to check. I mean, I don't sit there and look through every transaction that goes through. No, 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 no. Just, yeah, that's uh, a big change from two thousand nine. Yeah. I mean, we did. Uh, no, no, it, it, it's about that on average. Well, yeah. at least, at least, well, I wouldn't say actually a million dollars for one domain, but we do about a million dollars a day of domains. Okay. Okay. I mean, right. either way, from two thousand nine, that's uh, that's quite the increase. Where three hundred twenty-five thousand is in the top ten of the year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what did you pay to acquire 15 companies just to compare? Oh, I have to add it all up. Um, I, I'm a deep value investor, so I don't like to pay a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we need to do another show with Matt just on his negotiation strategy. I'm, 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 I'm very patient. I have negotiated with him. It's, uh, he, he's, uh, he, he's in the upper echelon, let's say. Oh, no, you're pretty and good, actually, as well. quite a good negotiator. You, 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 you were pretty good. I didn't, I didn't actually go that hardball because I think she thought what I bought from you was fairly cheap. But uh, yeah, um, no, Andrew's pretty good. Um, but yeah, Andrew's no, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, look, I, I can't. I, I, let me add it, add it all up in my head. It's probably in U.S. dollars. It would be um, under ten mm -hmm. US, um, I think. A little bit under ten. Ten, 10 million. So yeah. I, I want to ask you um, uh, just sort of business, general business strategy. Like you've clearly taken an approach of of you know acquisitions. Um, not that you're not targeting organic growth, but you're you've clearly had a, a, uh, a lot of focus on, on acquisitions, acquire your competitors, uh, you know, basically buy market share. Yeah. Uh, is that something that you think, is that a strategy that you, you, you utilize specifically because of the niche you're in? Um, or is that something you feel in general is just a, a strong strategy? Well, with marketplaces, um, I think it's a, a, a great strategy. Um, you kind of have to buy them all. All of them. Okay. And they, the trick is trying to get them at a good price at the right time. And you've got to be patient over many, many, many years. I mean, there's business I've tried to buy yeah. in the Francis space in various niches. And, you know, I've got things that I've had on the, on the list for six, seven years. And I still haven't managed to buy them because, you know, someone doesn't want yeah. to sell them at a the price. Yeah. Um, time is uh, everything. Yeah. You, you just need, you need to just find the right day. Right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you, you would know this. It's just, the right yeah. day comes along and it happens, right? For various Absolutely. reasons, right? So, patience um, and persistence. Yeah, patience and persistence. So, um, yeah, the, so the thing is that um, with marketplaces, you want to pull liquidity together as much as possible, right? And I don't run them separately. I, I shut down every one of those France businesses. And yeah, just of course. Everything and just pull the liquidity in, right? And that made us unstoppable. I mean, we've got more freelancers than anyone else in the world, 33 million. I mean, we're getting, you know, I think, 14,000 or something signing up today, check the stats somewhere. So, um, you know, uh, so, you know, that's such a moat around the business. If you're trying to start a business from scratch now and go after this, you couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, it's by the time you get to a million years, I'll be at a hundred million. Right. And so good luck. Right. So yeah. yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work everywhere. I did have a good look at the escrow space after I, um, bought escrow.com and I talked to a lot of the niche players that are out there 
um, about acquisition and I just formed a few, there's just no way I can acquire any of them because the problem is it's a regulated financial services business. You take on all the liability and all the risk of their previous yeah. transactions and yeah. none of the competitors are licensed properly, right? They've all got, you know, zero or one license, right? Mm -hmm. And as, I, as I've said to you before in a previous episode, you know, the US has 50 states, uh, four don't require licensing, six territories, you need 52 financial services licenses to operate in the United States alone, yeah. right? But and every one of them... Oh, sorry. A every business you're in, you really dominate and you do. You build a moat with um, acquiring competitors and then you acquire the, um, as you like to say, the can canonical uh, name for that industry, the, the keyword category killer. Yeah. Um, is um, it it's, it's quite the strategy. Do you find that there's a timing in balancing those two types of acquisitions when you want to buy the category killer and when you want to buy out the competitors? I buy the competitors whenever I can afford them. I think they're a good price and I buy the domain when it's cheap. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. know? Like, yeah. you know? Fair enough, like, fair enough. Value investing 101. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem, the, problem with value, the problem with value investing is you can wait a long time, right? Yeah. Like momentum investing, you just ride the wave, you pay whatever, right? And that's kind of what happens in Silicon Valley is everyone kind of pays more and more and more and more and more. And yeah. hopefully you get to the promised land before the music stops. But with value investing, yeah. you can be, you're going to be waiting a long time before you, you, you yeah. the, the market turns, right? So, yeah. The market, the market can stay, uh, the market, what, what is the expression? The market can stay uh, irrational longer than you irrational can stay Irrational longer than you can stay liquid. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you, um, you know some of, some of the broader you know this is domain share but i i don't we, we we've had you on to discuss you know escrow.com and, and the domain market but i think that there's some macro trends that are really interesting for both sides of that business for the freelancer side of the business and um obviously the, the reason you got into to escrow and, and your personal as well as professional interest in domain names you know these things all tie together they're, they're all part of one bigger picture so looking at some of those trends, like there's two really big things that I feel are opportunities uh, for freelancer, uh, but also in the domain space. One of them being the concept of like decentralized organizations. And you had talked about how getting into freelancer that, you know, that was kind of the idea. Oh my God, I can start a company and not have any employees. Yeah. And, that concept has, has, through multiple iterations of the last decade, uh, since you originally had the, the idea, um, you know, has ad adapted. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm invested in, in, in a company that's trying to create infrastructure around creating these, these um, decentralized organizations. It's called, uh, uh, you know, E-Corp. But... Um, I feel like I feel like freelancer could be the nucleus of that entire wave, that entire trend, because you know you you, you mentioned that you know providing some of the ancillary services to these freelancers is difficult, like like healthcare and insurance and things like that. But I feel like you know cap tables and and um, just being the glue that brings together those various freelancers and roles together with the objective of the, of the organization itself and basically assigning values to the various roles 
and inputs that go into this organization and then distributing the outputs that are earned from the organization. Um, I know that's a complicated way of expressing this question, but is that something that you thought about? Do you see that as a, a trend the way that I do? Like sort of a yeah. movement towards, hey, there's somebody, like e even media options. I mean, we're not totally decentralized in the sense that we are a, you know, we're an organization owned by one person that, you know, has employees, even if our employees are distributed. Um, but, you know, maybe we're like one leg in the water towards a distributed organization. Is that, yeah, coming back, is that something that you see as viable, sort of a fully decentralized organization? Is that something that... Absolutely. And, and we, we actually, in the France, a broader group, we're a number of businesses which uh, are horizontal platforms um, mm -hmm. that enable this. So France.com, it's a global marketplace for, for labor, right? Services. Mm -hmm. So you can mm -hmm. hire a team to get to, you know, turn those spark of an idea into reality. We have escrow, which is a global payments platform. And we have now a freight marketplace called Freightlancer, uh, which is 7,000 transport operators around the world. We can, we can ship anything. But, um, so, yeah. you, know, you know, it's a labor payments freight, right? Uh, yeah. So, um, and, then, and the great thing is they'll play off each other. So the freight business now, you've got 7,000 professional transport organizations. One might have a shipping line and one might have a thousand trucks. But then yeah. that's laid on top of 33 million freelancers now who could do metro point to point delivery. So, you know, if you're a flower store, you want flowers delivered, right? You can now use freelancers to do that, right? I mean, Uber's got 2 million drivers. We've got 33 million freelancers, most drive, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the scale we can we can reach is, is huge with this. And, you know, the more that we can build the physical organization and a virtual representation, you know, here, here's your staff, they're on demand, they're on your phone, they're on the computer, they're you know, everywhere, right? Anytime you need the staff on call, um, you know, the more that we kind of can, can provide a lot of value to to um, all sorts of organizations around the world um, to get things done. Um, we have a great service we've just launched, uh, which is called Technical Copilot, which is basically a, every startup person at a conference is looking for a technical co-founder. Well, we can provide yeah. that to you now. We've we've got uh, yeah, we've got uh, we've got um, uh, project managers that sit there and um, hear what you want. They'll write a specification for you. They'll ticket it up. They'll pl place a virtual team and. Um, they're fantastic. I, this is what I'm using with Lifestock.com. You know, I'm, I'm using I'm using a, a technical co-pilot to kind of run the whole thing for me. And I have to. Okay, I don't, so I don't... yeah, how does Media Options get that? I mean, we need like a, a CPO. We need a CPO. Yeah. We need somebody to oh, manage this side of the business because I'm spending 20, 30 percent of my time dealing with technical things that I not only am not qualified to deal with, yeah. but I don't want to deal with. I'll, I'll I'll hook you up right this after this, right? Um, you, you just. Uh, it's 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 phenomenal. Like it literally is. They'll they'll do anything. They'll staff the business. They'll um, hire the right people for you. They'll um, write a technical specification, break it down the tickets, log it into the system. They'll uh, run uh, like an agile process. So they'll do um, every week. They'll kind of do a sprint planning, work with all the freelancers. At the end of the week, they'll give you a um, a, 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 a weekly report and a retrospective of kind of what happened in the week, and it just runs autopilot. Auto, auto and uh, it's just phenomenal. In fact, I mean, over the weekend, my, my SSL certificate um, expired. And he's like, yeah, we need to renew this. I'll jump in the cloud player for you and I'll get it all fixed up for you. Or, you know, it, you know it's just incredible. That's amazing. And it's a new approach, really, to entrepreneurship. And yeah. uh, most of this episode, I would like to discuss entrepreneurship with you. Um, yes. I have a couple quick questions about freelancer.com first. Um, mm -hmm. So let's well, talk about... I didn't, get, I, didn't get to my, I didn't get to my second trend that I... Oh. That I I, I see it's like a really cool, interesting. So I, I'm really glad to hear that. Like, I think that that's, um, 
that's 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 really interesting. You know, it, I felt like it was a little bit out of left field, but it sounds like it's it's closer than I even thought. I mean, um, it'd be so interesting if you were able to tie that together visually, like in some way, you know, where where freelancer, uh, you know, or some other platform that you've got is sort of that nucleus, and it's like, okay, here's your organization, and we're just plugging in all of these different pieces for you. And I, I feel like one of the big components that's missing there is sort of the cap table component, the, like eShares, which is now um, Carta.com, kind of what they're doing. Um, but I don't know if that's some, you know a whole other regulatory thing that you probably just don't want to touch. So, 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 so what do you mean about these around the cap table? So, okay, so you've got a distributed organization and you've got all these people who are contributing value. And one way to pay them is to simply pay them as contractors um as freelancers um but i really believe that there's sort of a, a a trend even if it's very small at the moment um but it's getting momentum and it's because of two things one is sort of the emergence of the shared economy um mm -hmm. where people are sort of you know taking the freelancer thing to a whole new level mm -hmm. and then uh secondly is the idea of um ownership itself not you know, being able to um, leverage an asset even if you don't own it. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it's, you know, there's, there's a movement towards de-risk, de-risking, uh, there's a movement towards, you know, outsourcing, uh, you know, uh, utility over ownership. And, and one, what's missing is, 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 is uh, remuneration. So mm -hmm. if I'm a freelancer, I want to enjoy the upside of what I'm helping you build, um, particularly if it's not a one-time job, if it's something I'm, I'm your right. you know, CTO kind of thing. Um, and so I feel like there's you know, an opportunity to uh, provide, you know, if it's not equity, but some kind of profit share or, you know, but it, I think it even could be equity in this distributed organization that's managed by a third party, like freelancer. Um, I think you prefer to join as a profit share. I just think it's going to cause a lot of complications with, with minority equity holders in, in random locations. Um, yeah. And particularly at the micro level, because it can be very expensive for them to trans for people to transact um, at yeah. the micro level. Um, yeah. You know, I gave, I gave stock, for example, to my staff in um, the Philippines. Um, you know, we went public, but a lot of them actually couldn't actually set up a share trading account because um, yeah. you've got you to put $10,000 into to open the account, et cetera. So, yeah. so it can be, can be problematic. I think the better way to do that, and actually, I, I do have some ideas around this with, um, with actually with escrow.com um, is around more, more profit sharing and how you could, mm -hmm. how you could do that um, at, a, at, a, at a micro level um, with, you know, for, with freelancers and so forth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so second trend that, that I just wanted to, to discuss with you is baby years, uh, you've got this, the largest population of, of human beings in the first world uh, yes. retiring, right? And uh, one of the biggest problems, you know, I see with my parents is like, you know, retiring, they're, they're uncertain about retiring because, you know, maybe they've got enough money, but you've got like massive inflation on the horizon. You've got a lot of economic uncertainty in the, in the short term, uh, you know, not midterm. And these people have skill sets that a lot of the, Millennials and 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 even I don't even know what you call the people post millennial, what you call them. But these people not only don't have that skill set, they don't want it. And I think that there's a ton of value in these 
baby boomers and seniors who are uh, uh, retiring and need work. And it's like, you know, I, I used to work in a deli. There was, uh, there was this great guy who was, you know, I don't know, him and I just bullshitted all day. And uh, he had retired. You know, he was like, uh, I, I don't remember. He worked at a bank. I don't remember what he did. But, you know, he had a great job. He retired. But he still needed some income. And so he got this job. He was working at a deli. And it's like, that guy doesn't want to work at a deli. But it was like, you know, he can kind of make his own hours. And it was flexible. Yeah. But he doesn't, it doesn't apply to his skill set in any way. However, his skill set would be super um, valuable to me. Uh, and I feel like freelancer would be a great place for him to, you know, do that. But I, I don't, freelancer isn't on his radar. Freelancer mm -hmm. is on, you know, young guy in the Philippines who wants to hustle and, you know, has technical skills. But I feel like there's this whole segment of non-technical it doesn't necessarily have to be non-technical, but I think the non-technical is the part that's being ignored. And there's, there's skills and people, um, uh, particularly in the first world, which I bet your numbers would reflect the opposite. Like the majority of your freelancers are in the third world and the majority of the people who hire them are in the first world. And I think that there's like this huge group of people with really valuable skill sets that are retiring a lot of them need supplementary income and they don't want to go get a job and have a boss because that's what they've just stopped doing. But if they could freelance that, their skill set to somebody, um, there's a really valuable market there. Well, actually, the U.S. is, the, the US is uh, actually our number two market for freelancers. So really? it's, yeah, after India, actually. So um, we, we've got millions and millions and millions of Americans on site. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty big. So we've got um, got people really everywhere from all walks of life, uh, and it is not just um, your typical you know, web developer in India. We've got people across any skill set you can imagine. So you know, financial research, you know, accounting. Um, you know, we we we're doing stuff. Oh, we, we, Airbus just posted their first uh, project on the freelancer actually last week, right? So we're doing really? stuff for the aerospace industry. We're doing stuff for the U.S. Department of Energy. We're doing stuff for NASA. We're doing stuff for all sorts of you know big enterprises all around the world, uh, right down to the guys getting a you know a ten dollar website built, right? Yeah, uh, it's a, it actually blow, it actually blows me away we can get up for ten dollars on the platform actually. Um, yeah, I posted a contest the other day. I went to the Grand Prix and um, my friend got a business card from one of the drivers and it said racing car driver slash I don't know philanthropist or something. I don't. And my friend said I want I want a business cards like that. I said no problem. I get done done on freelancer and I just got the app and posted a contest ten dollars business cards whatever. I had four hundred entries. And they were great. They were really good. I and mean, the liquidity is just phenomenal, right? Phenomenal. Um, so, so yeah. I, I mean, um, it's I mean, it's a great uh, platform if you've got any sort of skill, right? And we mm -hmm. we do all the way from white collar jobs through the blue collar jobs. I, I get, I've got people recently to come and um, you know, clean out my air conditioner and uh, retile a floor. And you know, I mean, we, we do physical jobs, we you know local jobs. Oh, really? I, I didn't jobs. know that. I mean, really. So you yeah. you. You also target home services. And everything, everything. Okay. And that's protected by escrow? Uh, it will be in a month from now. Okay. So what right. do I for do some, for some, somebody comes for in, some, for some my, Somebody comes in, redoes my floor, and it's a subpar job. What, what are my options with freelance? Well, we have, at the moment, we have milestone payments on freelancer, which behave like escrow, but they're not as secure as true escrow, which is a legal construct. So, you know, we hold, we hold the money basically in trust um, um, in escrow, but on freelance.com, it's a, it's a milestone payment, which is like a control payment. 
So the freelancer doesn't get access to the money until you're happy with the job and you release the funds to them. Okay. Makes sense. All right. Um, I want to make good use of our time with you. Um, mm. You are such a um, just a wealth of knowledge. Um, you know, oftentimes people see the CEO of a publicly listed company purely as an executive or a business manager, and not yeah. necessarily, you know, a founder or an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. You actually founded Freelancer. Um, yeah. How has that influenced how you run and grow the business? I run the business like an operator, like, a, like an owner operator. Um, you know, I sit with the product teams. I kind of work with all, everyone. I'm not, you know, it's, I think, very different from like a, how, how a hired in CEO would act, where they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're really thinking about how much money can I raise next round to pump the valuation up because they've got some sort of stock-based compensation on, 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 yeah. on the valuation of the company. Um, I very much focus on, um, you know, every dollar I spend making it more than a dollar back and working with all the members of the team. I mean, it's, this is my life, right? This is, this yeah. is it, right? Yeah. This is what I do. Um, and you were a professor before, or no, once, was, do you I, do that for philanthropic I was, reasons? I, I was adjunct associate professor, which means I was just an external lecturer that came in uh, and taught classes. And I taught cryptography for 14 years, and I also taught um, a little bit later on, I, bought, I taught technology entrepreneurship. And why do you do that? Well, I got to hire the hackers, and sure. I got to hire the entrepreneurs. Ah, did you do that before Freelancer? Yeah, I did actually. I did it uh, 2001, I started, until about 2014, and I stopped teaching in 2014 because because we're, we're going to launch an education offering on Freelancer. I just teach the world rather than teach, uh, teach university in Sydney. No kidding. Well, today you're teaching the uh, Sherpa Network. Thank you very much. There you uh, go. Yeah. Uh, are you, you Freelancer's largest shareholder still? Yeah. I like how he answered that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm buying, I'm buying stock as well still, so it's, I'm still, still buying. So. Yeah, you guys have, uh, uh, I was checking out the stock actually. Um, and I remember a good friend of mine, um, uh, who for whatever reason, since years has been, has been talking about your stock. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember about, I want to say maybe a year ago yeah. or so, he, had, he was like, oh man, you know, I, I think it's time to buy uh, freelancer stock. Mm. It was down to like 40 cents or something. And, 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 yeah. and he was like, I'm, I'm buying, I'm buying freelancer stock. And now, you know, I think you're up over a hundred percent for the, for the year. Yeah, that's right. Well Stop done. Let, let's talk <laughs> yeah. about um, funding uh, via products and services versus via capital. Cause you have uh, very much, have you bootstrapped all your businesses? Sorry, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I hate to interrupt you, but, but I, I just, on that thought of, of, you know, the stock market growth, the, um, I feel like, you know, I was looking at the chart and it looked like your stock performed super well from like 2014 to 2016. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, you know, that was actually a moment when like the Dow, for example, was hurting. It was, it was performing quite poorly. Mm -hmm. And I looked at some earlier trends and it, it, it seems like Freelancer actually performs almost contrary to the overall market. And I was just thinking about that for a second, just at a you know, super high level that, that almost makes sense because as the overall market is doing poorly, you have more freelancers. You have more people trying to supplement their income or, yeah, so or, was, or well, losing their jobs and, 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 you know, starting their own businesses. Is that a relevant thought or is that maybe? Um, 
It, it is at a, at a macro level because um, the global financial crisis was the thing that set the whole industry alight as more people were yeah. out of work, looking for jobs and businesses were finding cheaper ways of doing things. And in fact, the big thing was actually a lot of Americans were out of work, not looking to get jobs online, but they were, you know, that side business I wanted to start, you know, I'll set up that website now or help my, help my wife with her business or, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, side, side hustles sort of um, going. Uh, no, I'm simply with the stock, um, you know, uh, at the time we listed, you know, we hit 1.1 billion US dollars, but it was on a very, very, very high multiple. And so, you know, the stock kind of went up and down, up and down, up and down, trying, trying to figure out, you know, how do we price this thing, right? Because <laughs> it, it, it was initially priced like a Silicon Valley unicorn, right? And on the same multiples those Silicon Valley unicorns have, I mean, the advantage I have was I didn't have any of that you know, liquidation preference ratchets or preferred stock classes. So I actually had a real 1.1 billion US dollar yeah. capitalization, not the fake manufacturer one that happens in the Valley where they, actually turns out when you sell a business you don't actually get what you think you're getting right so yeah so but you know um yeah markets go up and down so um you know it's you know 40 cents that stock was a gift you sure bought yeah. some andrew it's a gift yeah i was buying yeah. you know like gift yeah. um but you know answer the other question about you know buying things um uh, what, what the question was about um paying for things with capital versus um yeah. um like do i fundraise to buy things mm -hmm. um I did that in my last company. So my last company was a traditional series A, series B, series C, series D, raise money, go on crunch base, put your valuation, do a press release. Wait, you know, celebration. I've sold part of my company off. I mean, that's the worst celebration you could possibly have. It's depressing. You should, you should have a wake. You know, you had to sell part of your company off. To, you know, I, to do, I had to go sell part of my company off and get some other investor in because I need to have money to do something, right? It's, it's, yeah. It's that's not... A unicorn shouldn't be a, um, a billion dollar market capitalization. A unicorn should be a billion dollars in revenue, right? Or even a hundred million in revenue, right? That's, yeah. a, that's a more tangible, a tangible thing. Because exactly. these, these valuations, they're all, they're all manufactured. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest, um, uh, one of the biggest, uh, scam is too strong a word, but um, it's, it's, it's completely manufactured. Um, but, but what the game is, let's not call it a game. Basically, let me tell you how it works. So um, I'm a US VC in Silicon Valley. What I want to do is I want to find a company doing 20 million in revenue, growing about 40% year on year. And the reason why I want to do that is if you go to Bloomberg and you plot on a graph, the enterprise value to sales of a company on the y-axis and on the x-axis, you plot the revenue growth rate year on year. You get like a scatter plot. And it's kind of roughly linear, linear through um, the mid part of the range, right? And what it shows you is if you're growing about 40% year on year and, and um, that you get about 10 times multiple on your revenue, right? So your EV to sales about 10X and you're about 40% year on year. So in the public markets, a company doing 20 million in revenue, growing at 40% year on year is worth about $200 million. So what the VCs do is they look for these companies, right? And you know, in the Valley, there's, there's, a, there's a few of them. There's a couple in Australia around and they go, how would you like to be a unicorn? And what, I, and what I'll do is I'm going to give you a check and the check's going to be for a hundred million dollars and I'll give you a billion dollar valuation. How would you like that? And you'll be famous, right? Just sign on the dotted line, right? You know, use blood. It's more permanent. Right. And so, so the, the, entrepreneur come, the entrepreneur comes along and goes, here's all my equity. Thank you for the call option. Right. And, and what, the, and because the VC goes, well, the fine print says, there's liquidation preference, which is basically originally designed for downside protection. If the company goes bust, there's a bit of money left in the bank accounts. Should you, the founder, get the money or should I get the money being, a, being the professional investor put the hard-earned cash in? So mm -hmm. there was an argument for 
well, you know, if, you, if I, I give you 100 million bucks and the company goes bust and there's 50 million left in the bank, maybe I should get that back rather than you. You, you, yeah. you put your sweat equity in, I put the hard cash in, whatever. But now it's double dipping. So the VC will go, I want a two times participating preferred liquidation preference. And what that means is if the company sells for 200 million or less, the VC gets everything. And only above that, then you share, right? And so by finding these companies that are already doing 20 million and 40% year on year, these companies are already valued at 200 million bucks, right? So they're valued at 200 intrinsically. You stick 100 million bucks cash in there, right? So now they've valued 300 million intrinsically, right? And, you know, with 100 million bucks, something's going to happen. There'll be a bit of upside. Certainly with the next few years, the company valuation should go up because they're hiring people and it's all, it's, yeah. not, marked to, it's not marked to market, right? Because it's all private. So, so what's happened is the founder has given up their equity in exchange for a call option and, uh, and, and fame, right? Basically, an artificial stock price, which does, doesn't, will not translate on the, on, the, on the public markets. And then the VCs are sitting there going, well, what downside protection, of, even if it screws up, I can sell for 200 and get my money back. And probably a bit more than that, right? So that's, that's the game. And then, 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 the, then, then, the, then the other game that's being played is what the VCs are doing. So, so with, you know, with these valuations. So the trick is this, traditional venture funds get remunerated on a two and 20 model. So it's 2% of funds under management per annum and 20% of above a benchmark, right? So what you do is you go raise $100 million as a brand new VC, you deploy it instantly, right? So you, get, you spend it all, right? You invest, mm -hmm. invest it all. And now you're collecting $2 million a year for sitting on your bum. And what you do is you show in the first 18 months and the Kaufman uh, Institute wrote a report called, I think it's like a see the enemy and it's us, right? It details this in an intricate detail. So the VC comes along and 18 months later goes, wow, there's a few companies in my portfolio doing the series B, it's on an up, on an up round, right? Because they're all, these are all you know, early stage companies. Everything's been up around for the first year or two years, 18 yeah. months. And they show, they show an internal rate of return of just some stupid number. And they use that to say, hey, you should have gotten in, 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 in um, route, um, fund number one, but you can get into fund number two. We're raising half a, half a billion dollars now, right? And look at, the fund, look at the fund one returns, right? So then they raise half a billion dollars. They're now collecting 2% of that per year per on their bums. So they're collecting 10 million plus 2 million. So they've now got 12 million bucks per annum doing nothing, right? They deploy the, they deploy the half a billion dollars instantly, sometimes in the portfolio companies from the first fund. So pumping the valuations up even higher artificially, yeah. right? Yeah. 18 months later, rinse, repeat. You go out, raise a billion dollars. Now you're sitting on $32 million per annum of revenue doing nothing, right? And now fund one, the companies are starting to fall over one by one by one because VC investing is a portfolio game. So you need yeah. one to smack it out of the park and return the entire fund. Otherwise you, you won't make your money back. And they're, starting to fall over. they're starting to fall over, but, but then it's like, oh, that was fund number one. Fund number two and fund number three are going great. Yeah. Right. It's just a giant Ponzi scheme. So right? I can really see why, you know, despite your background in VC, that you, you've called it distracting for entrepreneurs. How, how do you recommend that an entrepreneur make a decision on when to take capital and, and when to bootstrap? Um, well, if you can bootstrap, if you have the ability to bootstrap, and not every industry can do that, right? If you're doing hardware, for example, it's you need to have inventory and that's expensive, right? And yeah. not easy, right? So, um, so you can't always do it. Um, that's why software businesses are so good because you can do it in software um, and particularly marketplaces because there's one copy of the software, right? Um, and you update it once and it's updated everywhere. Um, yeah, I would always try and start a business where I can bootstrap it and try and make a bit of money in and then try and build it up incrementally because you get to own the whole business, right? Like, um, 
And you know, my previous business, it was you, 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 do, you raise your first round of investment, you negotiate the term sheet, you look at it, it kind of looks okay, you give up a couple of board seats, you give up some um, veto rights in the business. So you, know, you get going, you, know, you then have to raise a series B, give up another board seat, you give up a few more veto rights, whatever. You get to series C, series D, suddenly you turn around seven years later and go, why am I a minority shareholder in this business? Like, why do I have no control? Why am I begging the board to do anything? Why do I, like, what happened? You've just like, yeah. boiled to death in the pot, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, it's just, it's just, it's just a horrible place to be. And, um, you know, most um, entrepreneurs would probably be surprised that when you see the, the term sheet, you sign the first term sheet, the very first term sheet, right? A few things happen. The first thing that happens is there's, there's a clause in the term sheet saying, in five years, we get the right to appoint a corporate advice to sell a business. Full stop. No matter if it's going well, no matter if it's going badly, they get the right to sell it. And, and you, that's, a, that's a wake up call because it's like, wow, even if I do a really good job here, they could just sell the business from out from underneath me, right? Yeah. Because they've got to, they've got to really realize the return for their, their LPs. Um, yeah. The second thing that, that, that the entrepreneurs do, and if you want a more detailed video on this, I've got it on YouTube. It's called, called How to Not Get Screwed in a Venture Financing. Matt Barry, search for it. There's a, there's a video from um, StartCon, which is a conference I, I run. Down in Australia, everyone should come out to Australia and come to that conference. You should come, Andrew. You should get you on stage talking about domain. Definitely. It's, it's in summer this year. I'll get this new invite. Um, but um, uh, four and a half thousand people. It's phenomenal. Uh, wow. Speakers. Yeah, we get the VPs of growth from like Uber and Pinterest. This and, is Australian summer. Yeah, Australian so, summer, November, right. December. Yeah. So, well, um, okay, so what happens is, um, where, where was I? Um, uh, You're saying. Uh, on the on the first term sheet. Oh yeah, yeah. So what happens is, so what happens is, um, number one, the business can be sold in five years. Number two, and this is this is this is this is the trick, right? So the trick is, um, they go typically a term sheet says, well, the board will be five, and there's two seats for you, two seats for us, and we begin uh, non-exec independent. Yeah. Right. And um, there's two things at play here. The first is um, the golden rule, which is basically he who has the gold rules. And, uh, you know, the, the, the non-exec is going to come through the network of the VCs and, you know, probably if the push comes to shove down the track, side with the VCs in a vote. So it's three versus two in a board and that's it. The board can hire and fire the CEO. The new CEO comes, change of business plan, change of management team. You're gone. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. Right. So you lose control permanently and you're never going to get board seat back. Once you give a board seat up, it's never coming back. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. You're not going to go from board of five to board of three. Right. Yeah. Unless, you're, unless you step down. Right. So. Yeah. Right, so so you've, you've permanently lost control of the business permanently on the first round of funding. So if you can try and do it without taking money from someone, or if you do take money from someone, do it in a flat common stock structure. And the great thing about the stock market is it's one share, one vote, right? Yeah. In the US, you do have this multi-voting thing that it's kind of going on, but uh, ordinarily it's one share, one vote. It's all kind of collapsed, and uh, there's no preferred rights. Everyone's on the boat rowing in, in the public, same direction. In public markets. In public markets, yeah. Every, every, everyone's, yeah. everyone's rowing together on the boat. Even you don't, have, you, don't, you don't have this misalignment of incentives. Yeah. So. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, I, I feel like it really is so muddy in, in, in uh, the venture markets. I mean, these companies are really, it's... it's, it's the valuation, so what, is, what it is, is I call it the find a greater fool theory of investing, right? Of venture investing. Yeah. And so what happens is you got a classic example of this kind of with, with Uber where, you know, you go out there, you raise a hundred million dollars for your company, you dump it into a marketing channel, you make back 85, 
right? The revenue goes like this, right? Yeah. You then raise 200, you dump it in the marketing, you make back 160, it goes like this. You go raise half a billion, you dump it in the marketing, you make back 350, it goes like this. You raise a billion dollars, you dump it in the marketing, you make back 650, it goes like this, right? And you're just finding a greater fool. And then you, you run out of VCs, you run out of growth stage VCs, you got to go to the, um, the public private guys like you know, Fidelity and T. Rowe Price, you raise from them. Then you go to the, the debt markets, then you go to the Chinese, then you go to the Chinese debt markets, then you go to the Saudis, then you go to the, know, the Qataris. I think they're probably the ultimate you know, marginal investors, probably like the Qatari debt markets, right? Like, you, know, like you, just, like you go through all these investments and you hope that at some point you figured out how to spend the dollar and make more than the dollar back. And then yeah. you can take it public, right? But if you don't figure that out, then you have a problem because you come to the public markets and you have a, a collapse in value. And what you're doing is you burn... You burn all the previous previous investors. You burn all the you burn all the employees, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone, everyone who's been issued stock for the last number of you know, if you, if you, a couple of couple of companies have come out recently, and the stock is like you know, halved or what have you. And you know, you, all the all the all the all the shareholders for the last number of years have just got completely burnt. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, even Lyft. I think Lyft the the last the last couple of rounds of investors in Lyft. Um, I mean, most of those folks were also earlier investors and earlier rounds, but uh, those guys all lost money, I think. Yeah, every, I think it's, um, it's 57 at the moment. So the market cap's about 16 billion. I don't know what the last rounds of Lyft were at, but um, yeah, so, yeah. I'd say the, la- the last number of people that evolved that company in the last few years, investors or staff probably are not getting anything uh, or doing very no, well. Sorry, yeah. the best, investors make some money, but so we'll lose money. But um, uh, the staff probably getting zero in the last yeah. few years. I don't, I don't know how they structure the incentives. Maybe it's just something else that, that's happening there. But, um, you know, if it's call options, you know, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're underwater, right? So, yeah. so you know, Matt, yep. you have won a number of awards for employment. Um, I think that's especially interesting uh, considering that freelancer is so much about um, alternative employment, right? Yeah. Um, tell us about your values as an employer that uh, that set you apart. Uh, what you think every you know young uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, should know, um, especially for managing a team globally, which is more and more the norm. Yeah, so we have. I mean, the company values are things like what does the data say? Um, how can we improve today? I poached one of them from um, Reed Hastings from Netflix, which was um, we're not a family, we're a pro sports team, right? I it really. <laughs> I, I love that one because people say, well, welcome to the family. It's like, we're not a family, right? You can't fire your sister. Right? Yeah. But you, but, but you want the best players on the bench, right? You want to, you yeah. want to make sure that, um, you know, you, you, you've got the absolutely best people on the team and then they're performing at the peak and, and product managers, for example, the coaches of, of, of the various products and you're going to have the best players on the bench. Um, and another big one is change lives because we really do change lives. There's not many businesses that actually say we change lives. And if you go to France.com slash quotes, there's about 10,000 testimonials there. And people have literally said, you saved my life, right? Um, it's, I mean, it's un- unbelievable. In fact, I'll, I'll read one out to you, actually. Um, I'll just uh, pull one up. This is pretty amazing. So this is a test. You, you just can't make this stuff up. So we've got quotes page. And then we have, when we have like a birthday or whatever for the company. We'll say, hey, why don't you leave a, a note just to tell us, um, you know, what freelancer means to you. Um, and uh, someone wrote, I know today over a million users submitted their quotes, but despite all those users, maybe I'm different because my story starts only with freelancer.com. Well, in two years ago, my pocket was empty. At that time, I had no need for any money bag. It was a hungry situation. 
There was not any money to buy food either. It really was not fun. I can't forget that time. My father and mother died more than five years ago. Now I have over $20,000 in my bank through only working at France.com. So I think France is like my parents, actually not like France. It really is my parents and my God, because France gave me life in this hard world. Thank you, France.com. Hope you go with sun power. I really love you. Wow. wow. You, could not make that, you could not make that up in the marketing department. No. Like, how do you make that up, right? And what a CEO you are, Matt, that you're aware of this and reading this. Um, it doesn't sound like, yeah. you know, someone on your team had to run around and present it to you, but you really keep no. your nose close to the ground. Oh, look, keep okay. your nose right yeah. here then. I've got another, I've got another one. Um, you know, uh, thank you. Uh, Commercials is for answer. You there and we are here. You're doing an excellent job. I can tell you loud that you saved my life. I was unemployed five years ago. Too old to get a good job, but too young to retire. You can return a smile to my old slash young face. Thank you very much and congratulations and happiness for all. <laughs> That's yeah. really uplifting. That's sweet. Yeah. Old slash young face. Yeah. Um, nice. You know, um, just you do like to buck the system. And I like that, you know, you've served as an adjunct professor for all those years as a way to get um, freelancers. But you also, I mean, how many degrees do you hold? And, you know, today it's cool in Silicon Valley to get into a great school and then drop out. Um, but not you. Um, what, what's your philosophy on education? And um, why, why have you pursued so many degrees yourself? Education is the lubricant of upwards mobility. Um, you know, it's the way that you can make a greater life for yourself. And um, I, I did uh, first class honors in computer science, uh, first class honors in, um, in electrical engineering. It was actually a science degree, so I did physics as well um, and electrical engineering. And then I did a master's in electrical engineering at Stanford. And then, um, then after that, I did a couple of degrees for fun. I, um, you know, when I was in between um, sensory networks and freelancer, I thought, well, if I'm going to be sitting at home trading stocks and building websites, I may as well study at the same time, right, and use the time efficiently. So I got a, um, a grad dip in applied finance and I got a master's from a different educational institution um, in um, applied finance. And then I got, oh, I got a... Uh, like a I know. I was. I mean, you've got a problem. You can't remember all of your degrees. It's corporate corporate governance or something, rather. I, I can't remember. It's just minor, minor things. But, what's um, your philosophy? What do you recommend to all these entrepreneurs who think they need to go drop out of somewhere? You're nuts, because you'll never be able to get back into school again, right? Like um, Stanford won't accept me at 45 years old. Hmm. They won't. They won't accept you. They want. They want young, young, young people. And they don't want people who want to be entrepreneurs. If you write in your letter to Stanford, I want to go to Stanford to be an entrepreneur and start a big tech company, they won't let you in. They want profess people to stay to be a professor and get a Nobel Prize for them. Because everyone wants to drop out. The last thing they want is someone yeah. to be an entrepreneur, right? By default, if you fail at being a professor and don't get a Nobel Prize, you will start a company and you'll give them an endowment later on, right? But they, they won't let you in, right? And so all these people that go out there and they go, yeah, you know, I'm going to go start Theranos and drop out of like, you know, Stanford or like that. It's just you're nuts because you don't know anything about anything. You're a kid, right? You really are, yeah. right? And you, you may think you're the king of the world, right? But you, you don't know anything, right? You've got to build a solid foundation, right? Um, and you won't come back later on to university because they won't let you in and you'll be too old or be too hard. And you won't have the... As life goes on, you get all these commitments. You get married, you get kids, and whatever, and you got to pay for things, and you know whatever. And it's just you just won't have the opportunity to go back, right? It's, it's a one-shot thing, and um, 
So you've got to go through it. You've got to complete it. And when I hire people, I don't hire people. They've got, they've dropped out. I had, it's funny. I had two guys actually interview uh, for a job here in the same week. And the funny thing is they're both called Amir, right? And one guy, and this is in Sydney, one guy had had masters in electrical engineering from um, North Carolina and went to Intel and worked in Intel for a few years and then came to Australia. And one guy had grades that just were like a yo-yo. He got like 86 in like quantum physics and then he got 11 in his thesis. And up down and all over the place. And he went to he went to UC San Diego for like one year for I think on exchange. And I said to him, I said, what, what's going on with your marks? He goes, oh, I started a company while I was kind of at university and you know, I had a shit lecturer on this particular class. And you know, what about your thesis? Oh, I didn't like the supervisor. And I, I said to the guy, I said, I don't think you like to work hard. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, why would I hire you? Your marks are all over the place. You can't complete a project. Yeah, you're right? not focused. Your, your, your CV is this startup, that startup, this startup, that startup, right? Why would I hire you, right? I want someone who's actually going to put the hard work in. And when I and they say, as a product, even for a product manager role, when you say you're going to deliver a product on this day, you're going to deliver the product on this day, or I'm not going to hire you, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to fire you, right? And it was just it was just amazing, like just seeing these two guys the same name, and one guy, you know, clearly he was a smart guy because he had some marks that were pretty good. And I said, well. Yeah, what else happened? Oh, I moved out of home. Like my parents were very strict. And you know, the minute I got out of home, I, I, I kind of you know went out and partied, right? And it's like, well, great, but you know, play hard, work hard. You're not working hard, right? So I, 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 I'm a big advocate for education. Actually, at the governmental level, I think it's nuts to not provide. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually libertarian. I actually won Libertarian of the Year Australia 2016, but. Um, I do, I do, comp I'm not a purist. Like, I think there are some things, I just think purely from the, the business of government, you know, if you are running a government, you're nuts not to incentivize people to do certain degrees, not all degrees, but certain degrees that can start, that where, that lead towards innovation and um, entrepreneurship and starting businesses. And they are, for example, the engineering and the sciences. You know, I, if I was, you know, prime minister for a day, I would subsidize that, right? Because the fastest way to lift wages right, is um, you put someone in an advanced degree and then they go through that for four years, they come out and they start businesses and they get really high paying jobs and then you make it back an income tax. And the amazing thing is, yeah. Silicon Valley has just discovered this business model. I think it's a startup. I think it's Lambda School. They, they, yeah, they Lambda, give, yeah. they, you go there and you, 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 they give you an education and in return, they get, uh, you get a share of what you make in your, in your job down the track. Wow, congratulations, you've just discovered public education. Right. You know, yeah, well done, right? Like, you know, so, uh, you know, I think it's very, very, very important. I also think the other thing I think is very important is that, um, and I made the mistake of encouraging people straight out of university to start companies. And I really regret doing that. I used to say, it's never been a better time. Do it now. Go take the risk um, now because when you're old, you have more responsibilities, et cetera. And uh, you know, there's never been a better time. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. You can hire freelancers now to kind of build your website for you, build your business inexpensively, and all the other stuff is open source or, or, or cheap. You know, things like payment systems like PayPal or Google Ads or whatever. And um, it's been a bit disappointing actually thinking about that advice and how I've given it to young people because I've seen a lot of people go out into startup land fresh out of a bachelor's degree mm -hmm. and with no big company experience. They don't know how to hire someone. They don't know how to fire someone. 
They don't now do a performance review, but they just don't, they just don't know how companies work, right? Yeah. And I, 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 had the, I had the luxury of, I worked at IBM for a couple of years uh, at a uni. So I saw how big companies work and how they function, how they do things, how they organize things, right? And if you, do, you don't get that, you, and there's not, not every startup becomes a success. You know, 99% of them blow up, right? And it's only the 1% that, that, that do, it, probably even less than 1% become big, big companies, right? Totally. And so you just have all these people just going from startup to startup to startup to startup to startup. And I've got friends of mine actually who are now close to 40. And I don't think they've worked in a company more than 10 people, right? Their entire career. And so then, then they try and come back into the workforce because they have kids, but no one wants to hire them because you've got no experience in any company of any size or any scale. It's been knacking around in startup to startup, right? Uh, you know, four person, six person startups, you know, and you've got, you, you, it's just, you're unemployable. I, I'm a classic example, right? So, uh, you know, I've never worked in a big company. I had zero yeah. corporate experience, zero. Well, yeah. You hear that, Matt? Barry right. just said you're unemployable. I, I, I probably you would be unemployable. You, uh, frankly, actually, once you're an once you're an entrepreneur, you are unemployable. I probably am unemployable. There's yeah. very you'd have to have a high tolerance for a lot of bullshit uh, to yeah. hire me. Yeah. And uh, but I'm it's, it's so true. I mean, there are we're we're at a point. It's like you know we, we had 300 percent year over year growth just about. Uh, you know, 2017 to 2018, you know, great growth this year. And it's like, okay, this thing is starting to outgrow me. I'm trying to get my arms around it. And um, I don't simply have the tools that you would learn in running a big company to, to do it, to get my arms around it, to like say, okay, we need to hire. How do we actually go about doing that and training and creating processes and like, you know, how do we create a structure around what it is we've built, identifying what are the unique things that we, you know, unique capabilities and skill sets and, and, and assets that we have that have caused us to do a better job than our competitors. How do we take that and create, turn it into a process, automate it, you know, hire for it, you know, supplement yeah. it, um, and, and it's something I'm struggling with as we speak. It's, it's, uh, that's, that's very real, tangible advice for me because uh, if I had that experience of, of knowing how to do those things, I think our business could probably be 10x what it is today. I think we'd probably have 70% uh, market share for the top end of the domain, uh, domain market, for, you know, aftermarket. I think there's a lot of things that we'd be doing uh, better. Uh, so, I, I, you know, we've got a great business. Uh, we're providing a good uh, a good living for all of the people that work for for media options, um, you know, an amazing lifestyle as well uh, for all involved. Uh, something that's very unique and probably not available through almost any larger corporation. But uh, we're limited. We're, we're our, our ability to scale is limited simply because I don't have the tools to do it. Yeah, and the the issue is that as companies become bigger the more you kind of need those big company skills, right? Which is, oh. you know, it becomes more and more about people management. It becomes more and oh. more about build, building process in, you know, if you have 500 people, one engineer can ship some code to the website, knock something down and wipe out their millions of dollars worth of, of, of payments. Right. So you've got to yeah. start putting process in to make sure that these things don't, uh, don't, don't occur. And so you need to have some level of big company experience. I think, I think, I think, 
you know, my advice for an entrepreneur would be go do a technical degree, like in engineering. And my preference would be engineering, electrical engineering, I think probably the perfect degree because it teaches you a lot of discipline because a lot of subjects in electrical engineering, which are hard and you don't really want to do, but you're forced to do them. And so you're forced to have a bit of discipline as opposed to computer mm -hmm. science, which tends to be more of a mix and match and a bit, a bit you know, play computer games and do a bit of you know, work and then come back, whatever. And then go out and get a, get a job in a big company, follow a leader, right? You, you, want, you probably don't want to be a stagnant large company, but find a high growth company that's of some level of scale, get in there, learn everything you can for two years, get out and do your own thing, right? And then, you, yeah. then you're equipped. You're equipped mentally and professionally and um, psychologically to do it, right? Interesting. I, I can't even tell you the number of like, you know, we're, I always say all roads lead back to domain names. So it doesn't matter if you've got a pizza business, you know, in, in uh, Tuscany or you're, you know, a uh, unicorn startup founder, that, it doesn't matter. Every business out there needs a domain. And so we get exposure to every type of business and every type of person. And, you know, if I, if I were to, in the, I, I'm just pulling this off the cuff, I don't even know what the real data is, but I can't even imagine it's gotta be, uh, a very high percentage of like the biggest domain sales that we've made go to founders of startups that come from PayPal, Google, uh, Facebook, uh, freelancer. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Freelancer. I, you know, it, it, it's people that learned how to scale a business, how yeah. to do things at scale, how to build, you know, and, and, and make a, a, you know, work environment thrive. Um, and there's only so many places you can go to learn that stuff. Right. And, and yeah. they take those skills, they leave after two years, five years, and they start something they start some, their, you know, their own thing and they apply that knowledge and boom, they've got a successful company. Yeah. Mm. Um, I just, I just checked out pizza.com. Would you believe pizza Hut does not own pizza.com? I know. I, I know. It's, uh, it's that's just a, a long story. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long story. Okay. <laughs> now, I have a tiny question for you. Um, you know, 60% of um, CEOs are actually chemical engineers. Um, so just tiny question, uh, electrical engineer versus chem engineer, any comment? It, was that intentional? Well, 87% 80, of statistics are made up on the spot. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I like to see the data behind that with chemical engineers. I don't know. My dad's a chemical engineer, so I've heard that over the years. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that. I don't know if that's true. Say truth. Okay, uh, but you you still stand by electrical engineering over chem. Well, you're, if you're in, if you're in technology, you want to be in electrical, yeah. right? Because civil, you build buildings, and and chemical is more of a. You're in a. I don't really see. In my world, I don't get a lot of exposure to chemical engineering startups, right? I, I, think it I hear that it's more about the, the thought processing, um, but yeah. that, that's fine. Tiny, tiny question. Yeah. I really want to ask you, so um, most folks go from serial entrepreneur then to VC advisor, not the other way around like you did. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you are so prolific online, um, you know, one of the top influencers. Um, and I've, uh, in, in reading and listening to, um, your, your articles and videos over the years, I've heard you mention here and there a dark time, but not much on the specifics. It sounds like though it was about forging your identity um, as a serial entrepreneur. And I see 
that's a real challenge for, um, for, for people at that stage who aren't sure, are they leaving a big company? Are they going to be successful? What, what can you share about this, this, this dark time and, and what, what you learned through this struggle? Well, I mean, you know, I, my last company was more of a, um, uh, solution looking for a problem, right? So I wanted to do security. I wanted to do chips. I wanted to do a chip for security. Great idea. And try and retrofit that into um, some sort of market, you know, uh, opportunity, right? And this is the, I see this happen all the time in startups, right? They're doing a Bitcoin startup. Why are you doing a Bitcoin startup? I want to be a Bitcoin, right? You know, yeah. like well, yeah. why? What what problem are you fundamentally solving? Well, we're kind of going to put pets on the blockchain. Like, why do pets need to go on the blockchain? Right? Like, like, you know, uh, you know, well, I want to work you know, at the end of the day. I wanted to work in crypto. It's like, well, no, how about you actually just think about what's a real problem that's big that needs solve you know, that needs solving at scale and um, work on that rather than be enamored in some sort of technology. Like I see people all the time. I want to do a machine learning startup. You know, I want to do a fintech startup. I want to do whatever startup. It's like, no, just you got to figure out where the, the problem is, right? The bigger yeah. the hole, the more there is to fill. Right. Um, so, God, I forgot your question at this point. <laughs> and, and so you learned that by messing up, by, you know, trying, I, like, I at prefer, what did you even identify that you were a solution looking to find a problem? What did it take for you to identify that? Uh, lack of revenue. <laughs> <laughs> lack, lack, lack of revenue and the, the smell every day I came to work of, What's that smell? It's the smell of burning cash, right? And the yeah. stress of like, <laughs> shit, how much money do I have? When do I have to start fundraising? It's going to take me six to nine months. Do I have to leave now? What the hell? You know, the VC's tranche, the investment, will the tranche come in? Will it not come in? What do I have to do? Ah, stress, right? It's terrible. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, uh, no, I can see it. The memory is stressing you out, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like it's it's tough, right? Like when you when you when you're running a business that's generating cash, it's it's great because you can just stop for a day, and tomorrow you've made more money. Yeah, I can stop and slow down. Just think about this for a little bit. I've made more money, right? As opposed to oh shit, what do we do now? What do we do now? It's very 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 stressful. Yeah, how do you in, get in out of that? In the fish business, my old my old boss used to say, um, you know, he was just a hundred and ten percent focused on sales. And he mm -hmm. didn't give a shit about marketing. He didn't give a shit about advertising. He didn't give a shit about the website. He didn't give a shit. And all it sounds this. like somebody I know. Yeah, well, I mean, literally, he, there was nobody in my life that was more influential than, than he was. And uh, Peter Murphy, shout out. So, um, you know, he used to just say that, that if you came to him with a problem that wasn't related to sales, he would say, look, focus on increasing sales and that problem ceases to exist and revenue. Yeah. Revenue makes everything else easier. If you've got the revenue, you can solve problems. I have a presentation on this. How do I get screwed in venture capital? I say revenue, revenue cures all revenue. Exactly. Will, revenue will atone you for all your sins. Right. Exactly I, get this, right. I, get, I get this young idealistic, idealistic computer scientist coming to the company, right? And every young computer scientist, what does he want to do? Rewrite the code base, right? From scratch. Why? Because yeah. it's not per it's not perfect. Well, well, guess yeah. what? 
when you went, when you initially went to write the code, you wrote it in a certain way, then you didn't anticipate it, but you used it in different ways. And then you kind of hacked it a bit, then you hacked it a bit, and then you hacked it a bit, and hacked it a bit. Yeah, of course it's a it's a mess, but all, all software's like this, right? Yeah. It's not like a, it's not like a university assignment where every time you do your university assignment, you could start with a, a blank sheet of paper and make it beautiful, right? I guarantee if you take that into the real world in production, it's gonna morph into all sorts of ugly ways and become a complete nightmare, right? Yeah, so just I, like I, a building, just like a building does. The, yeah, you, exactly. you use a building, it evolves over time and you put an add-on, you change the roof, that's, that's a, you, the windows, the air conditioning systems. But you know, yeah. at some point, you 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 know, uh, 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 what do you call it? You know, written down the the, the capital expenditure for building it to yeah. the point where you say, okay, fine, now it makes sense to tear this thing down and build something new. But you can't just do that every time there you find a, a, a better way to go about it. No, it's, it's how you kill companies, actually, if everyone stops mm -hmm. and then you're not producing new features and, and doing what have you. And it's always mm -hmm. a challenge because even in a company like mine, you do have to bite off on technical debt sometimes, right? And so we're doing that right now with the front end for freelancers. We're ripping out, replacing the whole front end with like this um, you know, advanced Angular you know, web-based um, uh, stack. And it's, it's a problem because all the engineers working on that particular project are not generating revenue, right? But if you, yeah. if you generate revenue, then you can hire another team and the other team can, can, can go behind you and fix up all the problems, right? And then if, if, if every month you're making 8% more than you did last month, then yeah. you're growing at 100% year on year and, and, and all your problems are solved, right? Yeah, true. Um, name your top resource recommendations. I know you've mentioned uh, new plot over the years. Is that even how you say it? <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's, yeah, well, are you laughing at me? <laughs> well, that, that's just open source graphing software, right? Like, just draw some graphs, right? Like that—that's. Um, I mean, all the tools you need now to build a business, internet business now, are pretty much open source, which is great. Yeah. Um, so you know, you got just got everything out there. Um, yeah. So both for building the business and say, you know, book, conference, podcast. What 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 do you listen to? What do you recommend? Um, I listen to uh, a podcast called Macro Voices, and this is a macroeconomics podcast. Um, uh, if you kind of understand macroeconomics, you understand how the world works, right? You understand, you know, oil price went up today. Why did it go up, right? It went up because something happened in the in the, um, in the Straits, in the Persian Gulf, right? And that caused some sort of crisis, right? Mm -hmm. And the risk premium came into the oil price. And then that explains why the US government is doing this and why Europe is doing this and why China is doing that and whatever. And why is the gold price down? Why is, you know, why is bond rates changed? Like if you understand all of that, you understand how the world works. So I, I love uh, listening to that. I also, um, you know, read things like Zero Hedge, right? Which is like a very bearish financial news site. Yeah. But what I like about it is there's no bullshit. Like you try yeah. and, you, watch CNBC and it's like Bitcoin price is up. Let's interview a Bitcoin founder, right? You got, you got a zero hedge and they go, well, let, let me tell you why the volumes are bullshit. And here's some graphs of, you know, some of the trading patterns and what have you. And, you know, here, here's an indictment of, of, of a Bitcoin exchange founder who's been arrested. And, uh, you know, like <laughs> everything's there, right? And yeah. it's, just, it's just, it's just, you know, uh, it's, it's pragmatic. It's how it is. So I, I kind of I read that sort of stuff religiously. Um, because uh, I just like to know how the world works and it kind of explains how the world works. Okay. What are your favorite open source tools? Oh, you know, it's, it's all the stuff that runs my business, you know, it's all the, the all stack. I mean, I don't get to code much anymore. They call it founder code, which is found that we're ripping it out, right? If I write, yeah. it, but, you know, like, but, you know, you, we couldn't build this business without, you know, your, your, your Linux stack and, your, you know, and um, you know, all tools that come with it, PHP and Varnish, Memcache, Redis, Every Terraform puppet, I mean, every MySQL, every day there's something new. I mean, Jesus Christ, if you want an industry that moves quickly, 
just look what's happening in systems engineering. Like it's just, you that was literally the reason I didn't do it. I, like, so I knew I wanted to go IT. I ended up doing like uh, management information systems, database, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, basically by the time I graduated with a degree, I was like, I, I, this isn't what I want to do. Uh, and, and I almost went computer science. Um, but I realized I was like, I, if, if I go this direction, my life will just be completely reinventing myself and, and relearning new code because every couple of years, something, you know, something newer and better. And uh, there's going to be younger people who learn it faster and do it better. And, you know, it's just, it'll be a never ending cycle. But the positive thing is if you do have a degree, then it becomes easier to hire these people. Right. So you, oh, you, know, you know who's good, you know who's bad. You can tell, you know, you can, the engineer says it's going to take six weeks. Why is it going to take six weeks? No, I think you can do it in two weeks. Here's yeah. how maybe you should think about it, whatever. So you, you just got to think like that. Yeah. yeah that's right. a good point. So, yeah, but, um, you know, it's, it is an amazing time to build a business, but the, the technology is just moving so quickly. Hmm. Yeah. So, so, Matt, you were saying. The great thing is you can hire freelancers to do it all for you now. Yeah, good answer, good answer. You're so charismatic, Matt, and you're one of the top influencers uh, in the world, really. Um, was that accidental or intentional? How do you how do you leverage it today? Oh, uh, I don't know. I occasionally write things, um, and I'm not afraid to say things how I how I think they are. I mean, one of the things that kind of really opened my mind up a little bit when I went to Stanford was there were all these complicated subjects that when I was at, like at Sydney University, the professor would try to explain it, and it just like it's just so complicated to understand what they're trying to say. And then I discovered, you go to Stanford, and they say it in plain English, as it is. And you realize the, the, the professors back, back at Sydney University were trying to make it complicated to make, to make themselves look smart, right? But you can, you can say things in very plain, direct English. And the more the time goes on, the more I have more responsibilities, more things to do, I manage more people and you know, you know, more businesses to run. I don't have time for the bullshit. So I just say how it is. Like if someone's doing a bad job, you're doing a bad job. Here's, here's why. And you, you know, this may be how you can do it better or, you know, or you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job. But I just say it direct and I'm quite blunt, but you, you just don't have time to beat around the bush, right? And gild the lily, right? So I, I kind of, I'll, when a journalist calls me to ask about something, I will always tell them an interesting anecdote or a, or a uh, very quotable line, right? And, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, I, I won't be afraid to be controversial. And then, um, you know, I write an essay, um, you know, I'll, I'll do it in a certain style and um, it'll get a lot of pickup. I and mean, one of them, the second last one I wrote, third last one I wrote, I had a million people read it in two days. And then 15,000 sure. people marched, 15,000 people marched in the streets and it spawned a political movement. Right. So, oh uh, you know, that's, that was pretty good. Uh, pretty good right? to, How do you leverage that? Well I, did, well, I didn't really want to leverage that. No, it's so, just general. But, but I mean, uh, you a lot of power. Well, I just, I just, I think I just say what everyone's thinking, you know, just say whatever you know, in some ways. In, uh -huh. in the rest. But in on the rest. tail end, what do you do with that? Oh, I just provide entertainment for myself when I'm not working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see if you're prime minister someday. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That'd be a terrible job. Uh, yeah. So you really have to be, uh, you know. Oh, why would you want to do that? Yeah. Just, like, it's just, I hate working in committees and that this would be like the worst committee in the world. Yeah. And instantly half the world, half the population hates you just because they were born yeah. from some parents that had certain political leaning and 
you're on the other party. So instantly half the world hates you and oh. zero reward. So What's Matt, you are so entertaining and so interesting. We have used up tons and tons of your time. Do you have time for four questions about freelancer? Your time starts now. All right. Good Which thing I didn't give you a time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, when you acquired freelancer.com, the domain name itself, um, yes. I want to hear about the data-driven results of changing to freelancer.com and what escrow service you used. I used escrow.com before oh. I owned escrow.com. Okay. Um, I, I, think it was, I think it was the first time I used escrow.com actually. Hmm. It would have been the first time I used it because I buy that domain name. Um, okay. And I don't know who recommended it or how it came across it. I guess that's just the way things, you know, if you buy a domain name, that's what you use. Um, okay. What uh, results did you see right away from changing from getafreelancer.com to freelancer.com? It was instant. Like instantly, it was just like, wow, I type in freelancer, we're just everywhere, right? Um, you'd speak to a journalist, the journalist will take your calls, right? Yep. You know, every time that article, articles would come, will be published, well, you didn't even talk to the journalist. Because they're going, okay, well, let's talk right about the gig economy. What's some companies? Then there's Google. Oh, there's freelance.com, of course. And what's the other one? E-O. What is that? I own the other typos yeah. that get his names and all that sort yeah. of shit. Right? It was just, uh, it was instant. Instant. Okay. And, and yeah. in SEO results? Yeah. Overnight. Overnight. Done. Huh. Done. Okay. Done. All right. Conversion rates? Marketing uh, spend? Well, I mean, it's the best marketing dollars I've ever spent. Right. If I, could, if, I could, if I could buy um, this domain every month and get the same impact, I would, and I would stop spending money on Google. Yeah. Right. I would. Nice. Okay. Question number two. Um, well, there you go. The domain name's material impact. Um, the short term and then the long term. Uh, material impact of owning that domain versus uh, an alternative brand. H how would you calculate the enterprise value of freelancer.com, the domain name to your business today? We have the best brand in the entire industry and nothing, everyone else is subordinated. Everyone yeah. else is like, there's nothing, nothing comes close to it. Mm -hmm. Everything else, mishmash, there's nothing that comes close. Percentage to it. of your brand value? Throw out a number. You're, you're such a number. I don't, I don't know how to calculate that, but, but it just, the point is that, you know, you, you say the name, oh yeah, I've heard of that site or I've used it or whatever. It's just, and the competitors' names are oh, maybe they mentioned, they remember one or two of them. They don't remember all of them. Yeah. 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 It's just, you can't, you can't, it's just the most, it's the best money I've ever spent. Yeah. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. And I'm so lucky I spent it before a competitor bought it or I'd be screwed forever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Forever. There's nothing to do with it. Competitor gets their name, I would have been permanently get a freelancer, and they would yep. be freelancer. I'd be permanently at least number two. Never be number one. Never be never. I could, could never imagine a, a situation where get a freelancer would, would be a bigger business than freelancer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense quick, to me. quick question of my own. What I always tell people that uh, the most fundamental utility of a domain name is to decrease your cost of customer acquisition. You think yeah. that's a fair statement? 100%. Unquestionably. Unquestionably. Yeah. And it, uh, also, it, it also increased the cost of our, our competitors' customer acquisition because one of them changed the terminology to contractor. 
Yeah. So they had to change the whole marketing strategy around contractor, and then you got to reset the SEO and blah blah blah. And then they'd come back again, and they realized it's futile. Yeah, and they just yeah. keep driving mindshare to you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like it's like a, it's like a, it's like a Rockefeller situation, right? If you want to ship if you want to ship oil, you got to pay the railroad, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, what, you know, parting words, what's, if you could give one piece of advice, actionable advice to, you know, young entrepreneurs today, um, for competing and succeeding in today's digital economy, uh, what, what advice uh, do you have, Matt? Just do it. You know, like, um, too many people, uh, just have these mental, um, like mountains in their minds that, you know, I can't. I can't start this because I've got to raise some money from someone or I can't do this until this happens. I can't do that until this happens. I can't do that until someone says, yes, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Do it. Do it and iterate and get it out there. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Well, you certainly, you've done it, Matt. Um, you're amazing. Thank you for taking so much time to talk with us today um, and really to share with, with the next generation of entrepreneurs. Uh, hmm. you're, you're a big deal and a good guy. Thanks. Thank you. Great. All right. We'll see y'all next time.